Hello, everyone. My name is John Gallagher, a senior editor at Freight Waves, and welcome to the session of Freight Waves Domestic Supply Chain Summit, where we'll be talking about infrastructure, specifically the long-awaited infrastructure package that finally was signed into law in November. With us today to talk about that bill and what it means for domestic supply chains is Elaine Nessel. Elaine is the executive director of the Coalition for America's Gateways and Trade Corridors, um, also known as CAGIC. CAGIC was founded in 2001 here in Washington, D.C., and it's dedicated to the expansion and modernization of America's freight and goods movement infrastructure. Elaine, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So I wanted to just start, Elaine, with um, a, 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 just a brief overview of CAGIC. Um, just if you could tell us the general makeup of the association and, 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 and what you guys bring to the table for your members. Sure. Well, I'm happy to say that we are celebrating our 20th year this year. So uh, by association standards, that's actually relatively young. But um, we were founded 20 years ago because there was... No one on Capitol Hill talking about the infrastructure, freight infrastructure needs where the modes come together. So um, there were lots of folks talking about uh, trucking needs, rail needs, seaport needs. We try to bring all of that together. We have a very diverse membership, and it's frequently in those points where the modes come together that uh, we have the most friction in our supply chain. And they do typically require um, a special touch, a lot of times a cooperation between public and private entities, um, unique and creative funding arrangements, things like that. And so we spend a lot of time working with Congress and the administration and doing public education on the needs of our multimodal freight system. Great, excellent, and and just tell, tell us some uh, makeup of some of your um your your membership. So our membership is very diverse. We have seaports, engineering firms, short line rail, large cities, metropolitan planning organizations, state DOTs, some ag shippers. The list goes on and on. Um, and all of these groups have come together, uh, united under the belief that we need to do more to uh, invest in our intermodal freight system. Gotcha. So obviously very, uh, all your members very interested, interested in this infrastructure bill that was passed. So um, could, could you now give us a, a, a brief overview of the, the um, what's known as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, known as the IIJA, and how that um, compares with past infrastructure funding measures just to help us put this new law into, into perspective? So the IIJA... And I am not unique in describing it this way. I've heard other people describe it this way, but it really is a once in a generation investment package. Um, the level of funding that is being distributed or will be distributed through the IIJA is a level that we have not seen in decades. Um, and so why is this important? It's important because for years and years and years and years, um, there have been studies by groups like the American Society of Civil Engineers and others who have documented um, the decline of America's 
infrastructure and how while other countries have continued to double down on investments to try to increase their global economic competitiveness, our investment levels have flatlined at best. We have not kept pace with demand. We have not kept pace with inflation. Um, and this proposal, this law really uh, writes the ship on this. And so we're delighted to see that for um, that these years of hard work are, are and advocacy are paying off and that there will be a large investment in um, our transportation networks. They're critical to keeping us competitive in the global marketplace. And I think that um, one thing that we should all venture to do, it feels like the ink is still fresh on the IIJA, but our needs are continuing to grow year after year. And we can't look at this as a one-time thing that we got done and our job is done, we can all go home. This is the level of investment that we need to sustain for years into the future. Yeah, yeah. So it was you know, touted as $1.2 trillion for the whole package. Um, $550 billion for the transportation, for, tra for, tra for transportation projects generally um, over the next five years with, with, with um, $78 billion specifically for, for supply chain infrastructure that, you know, moves freight through seaports and highways and, and rail. Um, one of, uh, so what, what is the process that states have to go through to access this, this money? There are going to be a couple of different uh, processes. So there are really two different ways that funding is distributed uh, through the federal government, from the federal government. The first is through a formula. And so state departments of transportation will automatically receive um, a set amount of funding. And the second is a competitive grant program. And a competitive grant program is particularly critical for freight infrastructure because, as I mentioned at the outset, um, a lot of times where uh, freight infrastructure is um, particularly complicated because it is a mix of public and private infrastructure. Um, a lot of times it crosses state or other jurisdictional bounds. It uh, involves multiple modes coming together. And for that reason, it is difficult to fund through a traditional formula approach, and it really requires a level of creativity that can be achieved through a competitive grant process. So it won't just be state departments of transportation that can access competitive dollars from the federal government. Um, seaports, MPOs, cities, counties, um, many other public agencies can work directly with the federal government to um, submit applications for their projects to receive funding through the feds. And they can also partner with their state departments of transportation. There are a lot of smaller entities that will work directly and have the state department of transportation be the primary um, applicant on a project that perhaps has shared responsibility across other um, public agencies. Yeah, well, one of the one of the phrases people hear about a lot with these infrastructure bills is shovel-ready projects. Um, back in 2009, President Obama signed, during his first term, he signed into law this, I think it was about $800 billion um, stimulus package for, that was supposed to, that was supposed to, um, in response, to be in response to the Great Recession. 
a big part of that was being touted as, as, as shovel-ready projects. Um, but there was also a lot of criticism that these projects took a long, a long time to get to get going and were not really shovel shovel ready. So, how fast do we expect the, to see the, the billions of dollars in the IIJA set aside for, for this freight infrastructure actually translate into completed projects that can that can help fix the problems where the um, supply chain disruption problems that we're seeing right now? That's a great question. I think that the context of the uh, 2008-2009 um, American Reinvestment and Recovery Package under President Obama is important to talk about when we're examining this bill because the, uh, for shorthand, ARA package had such an emphasis on the much-needed stimulative effect that we needed in our economy. And for that reason, there was this huge emphasis on shovel-ready projects, as you know. Uh, they wanted to get money out the door as soon as possible. Um, the phrase that that we are hearing more um, coming out of the Biden administration it, as we talk about the IIJA is shovel-worthy because um, the economy is not in peril right now as it was uh, 12 years ago. And so what we're looking at now is projects that uh, very much need to be completed, but it's less of an emphasis on getting people in jobs as soon as possible. Right now, we're looking at really a long-term economic success plan um, when we think about these projects. So as we think about shovel-worthy projects and how quickly they can get out the door, I think it's really important to consider that for years and years and years, we've had an incredible backlog of project needs, and that can be demonstrated through the many um, rounds of the infra program and the tiger program. Um, the infra program, for example, there were $12 of requests for every $1 in available funding in past rounds. Um, that means that there are a lot of projects that are ready to receive the funds, have begun going through their required approvals and environmental reviews and things like that. And they will be the first in line when it comes time to put forward applications for funding under the IIJA programs. And so I think that we do have a long backlog of projects that are ready to go. Um, in terms of what is that going to do for the existing um, supply chain dysfunction that we're having right now as a result of COVID? That's a great question. Um, I will say that, you know, this, even though the circumstances of um, what has led to this supply chain dysfunction were, you know, difficult to predict, um, we and other advocates uh, who represent the freight network have been talking for years and years that um, there will be a crunch on the system and that it will result in a level of dysfunction and that you and I and all of the other consumers across the country will pay for that dysfunction through uh, increased cost of, of goods. And that's exactly what is happening right now. Um, so I think that 
in the short term, we can expect to see notices of funding opportunity coming out um, in the next couple of months. And a lot of public agencies have those applications ready to go, and they will be working with the federal government. And I think that uh, the administration does have a key interest in beginning to get some of the money out the door and make project awards quickly. You mentioned projects that are sort of in the pipeline, and these might be longer term projects that might not fix the supply chain now, but can you mention maybe one of those that you see as pretty important is at least, if not fixing the supply chain now, preventing, help, helping helping prevent that in the future or, or at least addressing the issue for the future? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big freight projects that has been uh, talked about in the industry for years and years, a couple decades, I think, is the uh, Chicago Create program of projects. And I bring that up because it has impacts in every corner of the country. Um, Chicago is really America's rail hub. All of the class one uh, railroads travel through Chicago. And the Create program is a uh, enormous book of projects that uh, need to be done in order to untangle um, freight rail from commuter rail, from roads, from it goes on and on and on. And so um, there has been great progress um, over the years in chipping away at some of those projects that are included in this overall program, but they still have a ways to go. And so um, the IIJA and a lot of the funding that's coming through the IIJA would be very suitable for addressing those needs and, and moving that project through to completion. Yeah. And also, just to switch real quick, there, there were several provisions in the bill that uh, were trucking specific. And one of them one of them had to do with an apprenticeship program for 18 to 20 year olds that would um, help address what some believe is a, a driver shortage. Other, others would say it's a pay shortage for pay shortage, driver pay shortage. But um, just was wondering like, if you see that particular uh, trucking provision. Um, as helping the supply chain issues we're seeing now or or longer term? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting provision. I mean, um, I think that one difficulty in um, attracting truck drivers to the industry is that there is a gap between uh, that 18 and 21-year-old age range where people graduate from high school or finish their education and they want to go on and they want to find a career and Uh, make money and provide for their family. And uh, at this point, um, you have to be 21 to move into um, the trucking industry. Um, And so there's a a big gap there where people often fall into other occupations, um, pursue training in other fields, etc. And so Perhaps this will attempt to capture some of those people that may be, like I said, really eager to go out and begin their career at 18. Um, I I think that another piece of the IIJA that's important is that, um, you know, the infrastructure for us as commuters is inconvenient and, you know, we do pay for bad infrastructure through the cost of increased goods. But for truck drivers, it's quite literally their workplace. And so when they hit potholes, when they sit in congestion, um, et cetera, that is, you know, that is their office. And so hopefully by increasing 
uh, the infrastructure, there will be more people who are interested in joining the field because it will be more profitable with decreased congestion um, and less headaches with uh, wear and tear and damage to their trucks and um, just a, a better quality of life in that profession. Um, just a last question, Elaine, before we wrap up. Um, this sort of kind of brings things back to to where you work specifically um, uh, from, from your from where you sit here in D.C. Um, Peter DeFazio just recently announced that he is going to be not running for election next year. He's been in Congress for 36 years, and he's been um, member of the uh, or the uh, been chairing the uh, the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee these these, these recent years. Um, so. I, I, and he was, you know, considered, as, as you know, a strong advocate for, for infrastructure and a lot of environmental issues. Um, what, what can you can you just speak to uh, his, his legacy and, and and maybe who might who might fill his shoes? Losing Congressman DeFazio as chairman and in Congress is going to be um, a big loss because he has several de- three and a half decades of. Um, understanding of memory of how things work. He's someone who really understands the details and dives into them. And I think you're hard pressed to find someone more passionate on these topics than Congressman DeFazio. He's been um, a great advocate for the transportation uh, industry and uh, it's, it's a huge loss. And that said, I think that the bench on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee has a lot of excellent candidates to move into that role and begin um, resuming the important work and where he's left it. Um, it will be an interesting playing field. Um, next in seniority would be uh, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represents the District of Columbia. Um, Rick Larson uh, from the state of Washington would be another person who could potentially replace um, Congressman DeFazio as chairman. And they've both spent a lot of time on the committee. And, um, you know, the the prospect of of Congressman Larson becoming chairman is an interesting one, um, especially for us as the freight community. The state of Washington is very, very dependent on the movement of freight. They have significant freight movement in the state. Um, his counterpart in the Senate, Senator Cantwell, uh, is affectionately referred to as Senator Freight. And she is the uh, chair of the Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee. And so a working relationship between two senators with um, shared goals, or excuse me, between two elected officials with shared goals from the state of Washington um, could be a really nice match. So we'll have to see how uh, the Democratic caucus works out the internal politics there. Right. Well, Elaine, thank you again. I uh, really appreciate your, your time today and look forward to keeping in touch with you as these projects start to roll out from, from this historic legislation, which will hopefully be soon. Great. Thanks so much for having me, John. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in.